Welcome to episode 20 of the What's Up podcast, recorded on the shortest day of the year. My name is Martin. I'm Ali. And I'm William. Okay, so just for those who aren't aware, the shortest day of the year is, of course, the winter solstice, and this is the 21st of December. This is a few days before Christmas now. Yay! Sorry. Um, and those of you that are in Edinburgh and may be aware of the public talks that we give on a regular basis, or gave on a regular basis now, um, our most recent one, we decided to do something a little bit silly, I would say. Festive to close it out. and silly. Uh, yeah, definitely silly. Yeah. And definitely but, festive. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and what was that, William? That was to... Uh, I sing in a choir. Um, and we decided that a choir is a useful resource. Um, and so we persuaded my choir to to sing a variant upon 12 Days of Christmas, which became 12 Months of Astronomy, where we gathered together our highlights from the year past, all the intriguing things that had happened in the last 12 months, um, and set them to 12 Days of Christmas, which was very good. Um, it, was a, it was a wee bit tricky because um, actually finding the right numbers of things in astronomy particularly when we were restricting ourselves to things that happened in the last year, it was kind of tricky. That, that was put quite delicately. What it actually was was a tequila-fueled descent into argument <laughs> for about four hours while we sat down and worked out how to get these blooming 12 things to shoehorn into yeah. this song. Yeah, there's some rather tenuous ones. Uh, uh, yeah, that's that's, that's our number 10. <laughs> actually is the number 10. Tenuous. Um, so I guess there's another reason for why we're making this the focus of today is because of this is now a video. This is, this is a thing. And the St. Giles Choir has now sung our silly lyrics. And we've just realised the video has no information at all. It's just posted as is with the text underneath. And people are like, what are some of these numbers uh, meaning? So, uh, yeah. Where do we start? <laughs> well, then we should go through from 12 to 1 and just describe each of the stories, have a chat about what was in them. But before I do so, uh, I'm going to drop in the audio that we recorded, the St. Giles Choir, um, singing the 12 days, 12 things in astronomy. Um, in case you don't want to go and watch the video, you can have a quick listen to it just now. So, I, would, I would like the record to show that I wanted to sing this on the podcast. Um, I was overruled. <laughs> I think St. Giles did a better job. What does everyone else think? So that was the wonderful sounds of the St. Giles Choir. A fried... Why are you sort of looking so sarcastic? My poor <laughs> choir. Look sarcastic. It was a slice of fried gold. Uh, editing skills uh, a la uh, Taylor over here. Uh, so very well done, sir. I, I was quite impressed. It was, it was fun. Actually, the choir were very up for it. So thank you to any choir members who might be listening to this, which is probably very few. But anyway, thanks, thanks guys. Thank you, choir. I'll get you a box of roses that you can all... Not, not one each, just a single box. <laughs> a single box, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so at the top of the song, the twelfth thing in astronomy was the twelfth Titan flyby. Can I can I take this one? Yes. This was a sad one, um, and it was the only thing we could think of that fit the number twelve, but it worked because we had to talk about Cassini's death this year. So this was the Cassini probe. It's been in orbit around Saturn for a number of years now, and it's been sending back stunning images. And in a little bit of cosmic 
um, house cleaning, we didn't want Cassini to crash into one of Saturn's moons. So the, the mission planners deliberately crashed it into Saturn. But they used a final uh, goodbye kiss, they called it, of um, Saturn's moon Titan, which is um, also quite well known because it's it's got a very thick atmosphere, which is a rare thing in, in the moons. And we managed to land a little probe on it as well, the Huygens probe. That's where the mission started. Actually. Yes. Uh, and probe so there. this happened to be flyby number 12. And the last flyby was the one that was going to nudge it into Saturn. So this was the beginning of the end for Cassini. So it was slightly sad. And William had the horrible job of trying to make that clear in the little picture that flashes up for one second in the video. So that's that's number 12. It's the, it's the Titan flyby that killed Cassini. Excellent. Number 11? Yeah, this was tenuous as well. This was 11,583 seconds of darkness. Um, and that was... <laughs> I think special credit has to go to the, the choir at this point for managing to hold a single note for reading yes. out that number and not losing the tempo Level of the song. Yeah, I can do as well. <laughs> um, this was the fact that there was the glorious uh, eclipse which passed over all of America um, from coast to coast, which is the first time that's happened for a very long time. Um, it's a total eclipse. Um, and 11,583 was the total number of seconds between the first um, sort of moment of totality if you were able to follow that shadow if you had a fast enough plane and you could have flown along um, underneath the shadow then that's how much darkness you would have acquired each place in America which got darkness only got up to about I think the maximum was like 2 minutes 50 or something um, but it was they, some say maybe the most photographed eclipse of all time because it was passing all of those countries all those people with lots of iPhones etc mm-hmm. um, able to yeah. get lots of imagery I think it's probably not the most seen eclipse ever. No, I don't think but so. But it's probably the most photographed. Yes. yes. I don't quite know how it's Critical quantified. Definitely. But anyway, it was still very exciting. Yes. But, if you uh, saw the video, did you, did you point out the, the deliberate health and safety? Um, there's a picture of Squinty Trump in there, <coughs> which is exactly what you're not supposed to do while there's a, an ongoing eclipse. Um, yes, so... Um, I think when the next one comes around, is it seven years for the States? Something like that. For the oh. next yeah, it is. They're lucky souls. They're getting it again. Um, really so quite, they're quite, the, quite big. I suppose. The people yeah. who hurt their eyes will have learnt their lessons and gone and got a proper eclipse glasses for the next time. And maybe so. Donald will have the same ready to go. <clears throat> yes. But the next eclipse is... 2019. Yeah. Um, and, but passed over Argentina and Chile. Only very briefly sort of skimming perpendicularly across those, but intriguingly and very excitingly, it passes directly over La Silla, which is one of the major observatories of the world um, in the Atacama Desert in Chile. Um, it's a pretty remarkable chance, actually, that, that you know, it's only a small shadow which is swept out, and yet it's going right over the top of one of the best observing places on the planet. So this is run by ESO, um, the European Sun Observatory, and they are selling tickets. Um, I don't know if they're selling, actually. I think they, they have tickets in, mm. a, in a ballot um, to try and go there. Obviously, you need to pay for your own flights. Um, uh, and get yourself to the middle of a desert, but it would be an awesome place to be I, sitting. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I mean, oh, the people yeah. people call that place. It looks like the surface of Mars. It's so it's uh, so dead. Looking, it's a yeah. barren world. But you also the other thing is you're really high up, so you'd probably have to see the shadows sweeping across the desert as it comes oh. towards you. Which is, oh, it would be tremendous. That yeah. that would be cool. Yeah. Is there a solar telescope's atlas here? That is an issue. Uh, I don't. I, I don't know if there are, but I bet they're probably modifying a, a couple of these. There's a lot of smaller sites. Le Sierra, actually, yeah. it's one of the best sites, but it, it slightly it had its heyday. Um, and there's quite a lot of smaller telescopes which were which are not operational anymore, half-meter telescopes, things which aren't okay. that big um, by now modern astronomical standards. Um, so it's there's some of those telescopes, I'm sure some of which could probably be, will be, I'm sure there'll be some modifications done to get yeah. some good viewing options. That would be cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, as you can see, there's another slightly weird link of getting the number eleven covered. But I think that worked. Yeah, that was fine. But yeah. it was not as bad as number ten. <laughs> Tenuous, 
speculation. Um, Tenuous speculation. Yeah, we were struggling. Should I begin the rant about this? Our our last podcast, we talked about this. This is the object that visited us from another solar system. Anyone want to (laughs) say that again? Sorry, I said it too quickly. Umuamua. I like Pete. So it's 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 the Hawaiian word for scout, I believe, or our, um, and it's 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 a fun object because it's literally the first thing that's ever been confirmed to have visited our solar system, but didn't start its life here. It began somewhere else, and it's potentially been wandering for millions, if not billions, of years through the galaxy, and finally wandered close to our sun and did a sharp U-turn and then went straight back out again. Um, it was moving very fast. We already can't see it anymore, but we pointed a lot of telescopes at it. And as usual, the press releases had lots of fun because it was unusual uh, to the point where the most likely shape of this object was elongated, so cigar-shaped. Um, that doesn't mean it's not, it is cigar-shaped, but that was given the, the most likely shape of this object. But we don't know of anything in our solar system that has such an extreme shape. Uh, ratio so long axis to short axis was like 10 to 1 or something yeah. most things are round yes most things are round occasionally you get potato shaped things yeah. maybe 3 to 1 something like that so the minute that one. 10 to 1 thing came out everybody went ooh uh, and then you can have lots of fun because there are many things that have that axis this microphone I'm talking into is probably about a 10 to 1 uh, a pencil a pen uh, the 2001 obelisk which is the, is the thing you cut to in the video so people understandably had quite a lot of fun because alien spaceship fits quite nicely in that as well uh but the honest answer is we just don't know and it's highly unlikely it was anything other than a very interesting looking rock um but that also didn't stop radio astronomers pointing at it i think one of the telescopes was at green bank um had about 10 hours on it just to see if there was anybody sending any signals from it and uh, i don't think anybody give it a realistic chance of ever no. being likely well. No, no, nobody really sense gave it a realistic chance. Yeah. I'm sure some people were very excited. But I think I'm on the, on the category of you might as well. It's yeah. such a rare event, yeah. and it is the first one. Agreed. That, totally. that why not? You've got nothing to lose, and some people might be annoyed that you've lost 10 hours of radio observations on something more valuable, but uh, just on the off chance, uh, I think it was fun. Anyone care to hazard a guess on the odds of it being <laughs> actually an intelligent origin yeah. object? We were debating this before. It, there's, I, some, I, there's some crazy figures they put on up a billion to one or but I don't even know how to begin to make that calculation. Yes, yeah, we have no idea. We, trouble is, in terms of intelligent life within the universe, we have one data point, mm. and and that is in science, Us. one data point is useless. Well, you arguably, we're not that intelligent it. either. <laughs> so, you know, we that, couldn't send a 400 meter cigar shaped object to another solar system yet. Yes, we we've sent Voyager out there, which is which we're coming to. In fact. Mm-hmm. That's a spoiler for later on in the song. Well, so we'll come back I, to Voyager. So I guess yeah, the, 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 the takeaway here is that it was a bit unusual because it's so long. So that might mean it was formed in a weird way when it got smashed into to throw it out of its own solar system. Or it could potentially be round, but just really weirdly reflective. And then the assumptions that go into making that model don't really work either. And the honest answer is we probably won't ever find out for sure. But it's interesting for that reason. So tenuous speculation. What was nine? I can't remember nine. Oh, it's it's Cha-ching, isn't it? It's it is Cha-ching. Nine million kroner. <laughs> so nine million kroner refers to the Nobel Prize. Uh, and this year's Nobel Prize was, of course, given to the team that worked on the discovery of gravitational waves. Yeah. Now, we cover gravitational waves. I think everyone's covered gravitational waves in quite a lot of detail by now. Um, but yes, the Nobel Prize was Nobel Prize for physics, I should say, uh, was awarded to the three key people involved in the development of the theory and the LIGO devices that discovered these gravitational waves and confirmed their existence. Um, 
And the prize for this, we worked out to be 9 million krona. That was such a good moment when, when we were like, oh, how do we get the Nobel Prize in here? Oh my word, it's yeah. number nine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we, we were struggling for nine. Uh, the materialistic one in the group, i.e. me, uh, how much is that in, in pounds? Oh, that's a tricky question. Oh, I really should have looked that shouldn't up. have asked that. Let's just oh, assume it's, just it's, it's sizable bank. And, that. <laughs> uh, and then I guess you have to work out how you distribute among your fellow collaborators if you're going to. Um, I don't know what happened. That. Uh, Quite often scientists who receive the funds will, uh, you know, they reinvest it in research groups, mm. etc. So it's mm. not like they go <laughs> buy their yacht. Um, <laughs> so, I, I'm not even sure there isn't a stipulation that they have to. Um, use it in some positive mm. way i don't know i imagine there probably is something rather than just so. especially yeah. a prize like that which is it's been awarded to free individuals because that's the way the Nobel prize works the maximum they can give it to is free individuals but it, whilst those free individuals who won it congratulations to them they were you know, quite quite influential people um it was very much a team effort yes <laughs> it was quite yes. a lot of people involved i guess we'll come back to gravitational waves yes later on they, they still number two another, yeah they did they took the two slot what about number eight uh, sea-based landings. Eight sea-based uh, landings. Yeah, this this was a slightly interesting number eight link, but it was all about SpaceX doing amazing things and mm-hmm. the fact that they have done eight barge landings of a returning first-stage rocket when recently is two years ago, three years ago, we were kind of laughing at SpaceX and going, yeah, it's, it's a nice idea, but it's really difficult to start going to work. Yeah, Many explosions later. High and definition videos of explosions. Yeah, they've officially made it look routine. Yeah, uh, I think it is so routine for us. It's amazing. In fact, it is so that. routine that it is possible that since we looked it up and there were eight, there might now be in a ninth. Um, oh, which, don't, yeah. don't say which, that. Which, it's which not the end of the year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to look. It's I not the know. first story that got scooped before the end of the year. We'll talk about that too. So yeah, space. well, and hopefully SpaceX have got their big heavy lifter rocket going pictures appeared soon. on social media yesterday yeah. of it being prepared at cape canaveral that is uh, that is yeah. exciting so he's trying to do it before the end of the year is it still possible no no uh, they, they, they definitely bumped it into january right um but it's been delayed a couple of times already with problems yeah. and engine issues and stuff so that's um, awesome and then that will be really close. potentially free simultaneous landings because each of the rockets come back set yeah. together or not, do they... I, I, ass- I assume it's not simultaneous. Actually, how does it work Are they... well, i don't know I know they, they all mm. come back. We should I find assume they're. I know what the, the long term plan um, was to have like three satellite launch pads around the main launch pad so that you land the three rockets on those and then you could just drag them straight back in, refuel them, and send it off again. And it's so cool. But I'm not sure they're quite at that stage yet. No. If, I was, if I was Musk, I wouldn't be landing all three at the same time. You'd be doing it, you know, just to make sure, doing one at a time, a bit spaced out, just, just confirm everything's all right. But actually, saying that, because the norm, so basically the big lifting rocket is free. Falcon 9's strapped together. It, yeah. not, I'm not Ooh-ish. sure. Is that, as I was looking at this more detail. The one in the middle is a bit chunkier. A bit chunkier. And they've got a lot more okay. boosters than, like a lot more rocket um, nozzles than the ones. But the actual, the, the general design and the landing mechanism on. looks almost identical. Okay. okay, so presumably this kind of works like a convention, like, or maybe more like a shuttle or something where you've got, this looks like there are three separate rockets bolted mm-hmm. together. Two of them presumably are going to fire for less time and drop away. Yeah, that's my assumption. And then the middle, okay. We don't know. We're making this up. As it, we seems, go it sounds like Let's a see. no-brainer to bring your rocket back so you can reuse it, but like, it's kind of hard to comprehend that literally every single other launch ever, the first stage of the rocket has ended up in the ocean or mm-hmm. crashing into some remote piece of Siberia or something. So mm. we are a little bit messy and inefficient when it comes to getting into orbit. So yeah. this is really nice that this is sort of the beginning of trying to make everything reusable just to save a bit of mess, which is nice. Yeah. Um, the payload's going to be good, though. <laughs> yeah, 
the payload is going to be a Tesla Roadster car. Yes. Because um, <laughs> he needed something. This is, this is a test flight. Really? All kinds of pressure. Really is, awesome. awesome. is he really going to do that? <laughs> Apparently. Yeah. Very silly. Yes. But when they're talking about it on Twitter as a joke payload anyway, so mm. I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah. A car in space. Caught on. Sure. Like, All right, sure, let's go for that. <laughs> it might also explode. So I think, you know, the, the car might end up being delivered to somebody else at high speed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number seven. Seven Juno flybys. Oh, yeah. So this is the glorious uh, Juno mission, which is ongoing, um, which is the little probe which is merrily spinning its way around uh, Jupiter at the moment. Um, and Juno is on, it's deliberately sort of designed on an orbit where it's quite um, elliptical, so it comes in very, very close to the planet, whizzes by at high speed, and then goes whizzing out again, long, long way from the planet. In the 70 slept. days or something? Yeah, so yeah. you don't actually get that many orbits uh, in, a, in a year of the, of the planet, um, which is why we've only conveniently had seven in 2017. Um, thank you, NASA, for that. That helped. Um, <laughs> but it's... Um, it's it, it's actually. I mean, it, we've seen some of the imagery which is coming back is absolutely amazing. I mean, some of the the structure they're seeing in the clouds because this is getting in much closer than any probe has gone before, and also is it has got high definition cameras, um, which is kind of useful. Um, before Juno, I used to sort of describe Jupiter's clouds as looking like the straight bits and the swirly bits, and then you see the stuff from Juno, and it's a turbulent mess. There's stuff all over the place and sharp angles in some of the cloud tops and some little bits that pop up above the others so you get shadows being cast down on the... Oh, it's just stunning stuff to look and, at. And we're getting views of the South and North Pole, which we've never had before mm. and they are... Ex well, particularly the South Pole seems extremely turbulent. It's like a complete jumble of different storm... Earth-sized storms kind yeah. of all kind of merging in together and it, it looks like... Um, I've seen a few images have done it where it looks very much like the kind of starry night um van gogh picture um and it's like oh well done good 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 foresight vincent that's good yes um, i'm loving yeah. the pretties from juno that's, that's oh yeah and there'll be more to come i mean juno's got well at least another year or so but it's going to potentially have funding for longer so its biggest risk um, is it's getting barbecued so the, yeah. the environment near jupiter's horrible lots yeah. of charged particles and radiation so it's only a matter of time before its electronics go <laughs> yeah um, but that's actually uh, one of the things it's trying to study. It's trying to, and part of the reason on that weird orbit is so that it gets a really good sampling of the different parts of the magnetic field around Jupiter, which is Jupiter's got an uber magnetic field compared to ours, um, and and so trying to understand that a little bit more is actually really interesting. Oh, um, I hope it lasts a long time. Yes. It Go won't Juno. get as long as Cassini, I doubt it. But, no, uh, no, I think so. we'll see. All right, number six. Uh, six was a delay, oh. a, a piece of slightly sad news, but not entirely unexpected. Uh, the James Webb Space Telescope is uh, launch date has slipped six months, and it may slip some more. Um, so um, I think we'll just be. Uh, I'm freezing, shaking my head at a further slip. No, 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 no. It's going to go in six months. It's well, like a million pounds a day or something. Uh, is that how much it costs for, like for the delay? So it, it, it cannot slip. For it those wasn't who don't their know fault. <laughs> no. For those who don't know what James Webb is, it's the next generation telescope after Hubble. So it's the successor. It's bigger and better, but also more complicated. Um, and they need to get it right. So uh, the delay, while sad, is is fine. And I think this time the delay's nothing to do with James Webb at all. It's, it's no, not really. Um, it's a it's, James Webb is getting launched on an Ariane Five, which is a European rocket. Um, and th there's a queue effectively for Ariane Fives. Um, and there's another there's a mission, an ESA mission, Bepi Colombo, which is going to Mercury. And if you're going to Mercury, you've got a very tight window because you've got to have all the planets in the right positions, etc. And they've got a, a time window when they want to launch at the end of. 2018, um, which was when James Webb was meant to go, um, and they've kind of 
you know, they're more critical. Um, so James Webb has stepped aside and let them take that launch window and um, because of the amount of time they need to integrate it at the, t- at the rocket, it's, they, that means six months delay. Um, I think, to be honest, they're probably not too disappointed. It gives them more time. But I also think it means it's, it's far less likely to slip. I think yeah. because they have, you know, they, w- they were still pushing towards October 18. Yeah. Probably would have been very close. So they're now saying spring 2019? Spring 2019. Right? So fingers crossed. That would be awesome. It will be the amazing. sooner the better. Yeah. Big day, big event. Yes. It's, yeah, it's probably one of the most anticipated telescopes in, in astronomy ever, I think. Um, Can you remember how long it takes to get to where it's supposed to live? So it's not, it's not sitting in low Earth orbit like Hubble did. No, so. it's trundling its way out to um, a point about five times way, further away than the moon. It's weeks um, or something, it isn't it, to, to do the orbital transfer back, thing. Yeah. So um, it'll be interesting because the launch will go well, but then there's going to be a lot of waiting <laughs> to make sure it's in the right place and mm. everything's working. So it's going to be a, quite, quite nervy for a while. I mean, most launches, you know, within about 15 minutes. If you've achieved your desired low Earth orbit or whatever, you've still got to turn it on though. Yeah. At that moment, well, that, 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 yes. So you've got the, the scary commissioning phase and everything as well. So we'll just have to keep the fingers crossed. It'll be fine. But we're it's going to be amazing when it launches. So that's why it's in the list because that you're, you're going to get almost sick of hearing about JWST because there's going to be an awful lot of press on it in the next few years, and it's it's going to be well deserved because this thing's going to be great when it when it's up and running. But it's just got a while to go yet. Yeah. Uh, successful mission is at number five. That yeah. was five years on Mars, which is the Curiosity rover, NASA's uh, spectacular big Mars rover, has now been trundling around on the surface of the planet for a full five years, uh, doing lots of science, lasering lots of rocks, taking good selfies and panoramas. Um, just, Finding yeah. lots of evidence for water. Yeah. In, yeah. Ev- in everything he looks at, where it's like, oh, it's an old riverbed. Oh, that's a sedimentary rock. Oh, that's just like, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, there was water. And some, or flowing liquid, anyway, of some kind. <laughs> powered by plutonium the whole time, so it can keep going through Martian winter as well, mm-hmm. which is uh, fantastic. So uh, if you haven't already, there's a Curiosity Twitter account, and you can see images from the mission, but you can also download daily navigation camera images if you care about what Mars is looking like today. Um, worth doing. We should confess that it wasn't particularly anything which made us go, oh, it's a reason to talk about Curiosity, other than the fact that it fitted the song. Um, quite I think, I think a rover turning five years on Mars was yeah. quite a nice sort of. Uh, it, it sounds good when you turn the choir up yeah, to eleven. Harmony oh, there, yeah, oh, yeah, I like yeah. that. So that was deliberate. <laughs> that was the plan. Like, to burst into harmony. That anyway. Another thing which we the number four was uh, a, a uh, again an anniversary, but kind of by chance fitted in with the news as well. So you, you were yeah. So the four deep space decades was referencing Voyager. And Voyager's now been uh, flying out of our solar system for about 40 years, having snapped all its glorious pictures uh, in the first, what, 10 years, 20 years? Um, 10 years, I suppose. Probably. Yeah, Mission done all its main work. And it's just been trundling out beyond uh, in deep space since then. Uh, and it's always aimed to keep its communications dish, dish pointing back towards the Earth, um, just to send back whatever data it does happen to be picking up as it's going out into the deep. And they had to keep doing course corrections to make maintain this alignment. And recently, they did one um, where they had to use the non-standard pointing rockets because the throw thrusters are starting to fail now. So they had to make this big adjustment, and some very smart people decided that it would be a good idea. The only way to do this, in fact, would be to use some thrusters that hadn't been used in a very long time. They hadn't been used in 37 years, in fact. Um, wow. Which is quite a while. Imagine leaving your car in the garage for that long and be like, yeah, she'll turn over. Be fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and she'll turn over immediately <laughs> yeah. for 10 milliseconds yeah. and then turn off again. Not 11, not 12, not 9, but 10 mil. And it's just astoundingly this works. 
and this worked absolutely perfectly and Voyager's now pointing its dish back at us again. It's just an incredible little tidbit of news that, you know, 37 years later, this rocket that was launched 40 years ago and is still working and still works perfectly. Yeah. I'd encourage people to watch the documentary. There's, um, there was an Irish company who made something called The Farthest and it's a documentary about the Voyager probes and the two of them. And there was a couple of near misses on its way away from Earth, which I, I didn't know about. So there was some really interesting moments where um, you kind of hear stories from the engineers who were involved with it and the scientists who worked on the data and some of the really um, amazing discoveries like seeing a volcanic plume on Io. Those kind of stories are, are told by the actual people who made the discovery. So I would encourage you to seek that one out as well if you see it on streaming sites anywhere. Number three. Oh, three new Earths. And, yeah. and, and, and you can't see me, but I'm doing kind of, you know, quotation marks Commons. for new Earths. Um, this was linked around the, what at the time was the record-breaking and very exciting discovery of the seven Trappist uh, planets. Um, so the Trappist telescope had found a system which had seven exoplanets all go around one star, which was was the record breaker until the day after I think we'd done the recording of the show. Um, but, um, so we're now up to eight. Yeah, there's now a system Thanks, of eight NASA. planets. Um, obviously, we live in a solar system with eight planets, so finding another one with eight planets is not that surprising. Um, but it's obviously it's because of the, the way in which we do the observations to find eight in one system, it requires them all to be kind of very, uh, quite well aligned. Um, so it's, it's really impressive to, to disentangle. In fact, this one... Well, we're not talking about the eighth one, but anyway, that was intriguing in its own right. But the the, the thing we particularly picked up on here was the fact that the, uh, the in the seven-planet system, there were three planets which were ludicrously identified as being Earth-like, um, which is a horrendous term often bandied around by uh, reporters. And I, actually, I knew somebody worked on that paper, and they, they, they were really cross because they deliberately avoided using the term Earth-like or any of these kind of phrases in the paper, and it, it appeared in the press reports. Yeah. Um, For comparison, Venus is Earth-like. It's yeah. the most uh, hellish place you'd ever want to visit, 500 degree temperatures, uh, but it's a very similar at mass and radius to the Earth, and they're the numbers that we know. Uh, with some degree of certainty on these planets. So yeah. just because it's the same size and mass does not mean it's Earth-like. No. Um, but, yeah, the, it gets used. And so, I think yeah. it was a really exciting discovery. I mean, there was justifiably quite a lot of um, press coverage around it because the fact that finding seven planets in the system is pretty amazing. You know, everything we do relating to planets often shows that you know, we're not in any way special, which I think is a kind of one of the most fundamental things astronomy can do, but that's a different mm. issue. Um, but... Because of the excitement, people like NASA and ESA, who had been involved in the discovery, spent lots of time making lots of pictures to go in the press releases um, and drew up all these lovely images of these planets. And it was clouds, like clouds, blue marbly water, things, yeah. green marbly like, things. No idea. We have no idea. But we got a smudge. There's an extra thing that's fun is that those three are very near the habitable zone they for are, that star, and they which are is also interesting. They are Earth-sized near planets. They are planets on which it is not inconceivable that there is that there could be Earth-like properties. It doesn't yes. mean it's Earth-like, but it means that unlike a lot of planets we look at and we go, no, totally not on Earth, this one has a tiniest possible, slimmest, vaguest chance of being like Earth. Um, so we call it Earth-like. Well, and it still makes the list. Yeah. You need, need to have one exoplanet that in there. Well, so. that system needs to make the list as well, because it was pretty cool until it was gazumped the day after we did yeah. the song. Damn. <laughs> Okay, we're getting into the final couple now. So what was at number two? It's back to gravitational waves. And merging neutron star. That was mm. prob arguably, definitively, the biggest story of the year. Maybe not the century, because gravitational waves themselves will, will be very hard to top. But this was the event 
seen in gravitational waves and in the optical, which was another first uh, of two likely neutron stars merging. So these are the dense, really, really dense uh, remnants of very massive stars. They're just solid balls and neutrons, essentially. And they, we know they exist, um, but we also knew that at some point they should uh, coalesce into a sort of mini Titanic explosion, if that's the right way to describe it. Uh, so you get a huge flash of energy and you get some gravitational waves released uh, from that in-spiral event and merger. Uh, but it also creates uh, some of the elements that we have in us and in the rest of the universe. So it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a way of seeding my ring. valuable a... items on the Earth. So your, your gold and your silver, a good chunk of that would have come from collisions like this. And we've now got loads of data from this one event and we're going to see more of them at some point in the future but this one was a big deal because we kind of were hoping to see something like this and then did and, it, and, and it it's a very clear case of, of, of this happening so it was an fun. awesome thing because it, it tied together two different sort of observational methods the gravitational waves which is looking purely at the kind of Einsteinian principles of a, a universe which can be stretched and squished in a, in, in a way which sounds like you know, such incomprehensible idea, but that the universe is a variable, you know, space and time are variable and flexible. Um, so that's one theory. But then we have other theories which are about these planets, and we say, well, if, if that happened, we think that should happen. And we've been saying that for years, but we've had absolutely no way of confirming it. And suddenly you kind of go, yes, look, we're, we're it's not, right there. It <laughs> happened. It doesn't mean we're right, but it, it, it means we're not, we're, not, we're not yet wrong. Yes, um, I like the story because is... we're, we're not sure if it formed a bigger neutron star or a black yeah. hole at the moment because it's sitting right in between the two sizes that we're fairly comfortable with. Uh, so we're not quite sure if, if, if what would have happened. So we need to see more of these things. To yeah, sort of this was, this was data point one, yeah. what we were saying earlier on. Yeah, this, this is our, our first point on, on, on the neutron star merging graph. Yep. And we are going to find far more as these, you know, to be learned more about gravitational waves. Am it's, I right in thinking awesome. LIGO's getting upgraded? So the detectors in America that helped to find this event, there's also one in Italy and there's a, another one now as well from Japan, is this right? Not, not, there, or not yet. yet. Going okay. to be soon. So we might potentially and, have four of these. And in here. India as well. Um, uh, oh, wow. Probably a little bit later, mm. a few years down the line. Okay, I didn't even know there, There's going to be five gravitational wave detectors and, online in the next, you know, in five years time or something, which yeah. is that would be amazing. Big also, change. Yeah. yeah, I think part of the issue is the sensitivity of how you can pin down where the events happen on the sky is very difficult. And this neutron star event, we, we got a little bit lucky because it was in the blind spot of one of the instruments. So they were able to find it quicker, but it still meant a whole bunch of optical telescopes had to slew about in this area and try and find the thing that had just gone pop. Uh, it's not as easy as it sounds. Um, and they got lucky. So within about 10 hours of the, the trigger, uh, they were able to find it. I think it was yeah, literally that quick. Uh, and we can get that down to much less time if we have better mm -hmm. accuracy on the sky. So that's going to be very interesting in a few years. It's not the number one story, though. So, Ali, what was the number one story? Well, the geniuses at the Glasgow Science Centre decided to do a balloon launch. Uh, so from their premises, they had a, a, a helium balloon. And underneath this balloon, they attached a camera. And they were going to stream the whole event live. The payload was a Tunnock's tea cake and they let it go and then they played some wonderful sort of mock 2001 music over the back of this and the live stream was maybe something like three hours long in high definition the view that you get of it rising out of Glasgow through the cloud it span around 
really fast for parts of the video. Uh, I would encourage you to go and find it because bits of it the, where the air is still and the, the, the camera stabilizes for a, a good point. Uh, the views are just stunning. And this is this is Scotland underneath. So, you know, they, they followed it all the way up to its peak, which was, uh, I believe, 37 kilometers. Um, now, just for the... The, the BBC people who had the headline, Tunnock's tea cake in space. It was not in space. The official boundary of space is about 100 kilometres. That's where most people agree that's where space officially starts. Uh, it made it to 37, which is still a, a good shout. Uh, and the views are stunning. And you see some wonderful effects with the sun coming through ice crystals. You get sun dogs and things on the way down. Uh, if you don't know what a sun dog is, you're just going to have to watch the video and Google it. Um, but the uh, the views were great. And it made it all the way back. So it landed somewhere in the south um forest park area and landed in a tree and they were able to go and recover it but i just thought it was such a fun wee story yeah. and it didn't explode that was deep. <laughs> yeah i thought maybe the air pressure would have meant the tonics would have gone but the maybe the metal wrapping's very good at holding it together or space grade metal wrappings with <laughs> did, did anyone eat it at the end I, I, feel like I don't know. Somebody, I think somebody should have. Eaten we should it. tweet them and ask <laughs> who, who ate the tea. But it's a famous it's a tea cake. Grade, surely that's now in a. Grade, no, yeah. it'll I've, be in a glass case at the oh, science maybe, center. Right, surely, actually, well, I don't know. Like, like Tim Peake saw use capsules doing a tour of the UK. Yeah, I assume that's closely followed by the tea cake from space. Probably is. It might be in the cabinet <laughs> next to it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I'll pay for that. Fair play <laughs> to them because yeah, that that could have gone wrong for a number of reasons. The the live stream was flawless mm. and uh, the the balloon worked and you know it seemed to stabilize after the rotation and sort of worked its way out. So I I just I was really amazed that that worked. So I don't know how many dry runs they had before they finally did the the live one, but it was yeah, fair play Glasgow. That was that was great. And I think that really did deserve a number one spot yes, in our 12. They, they, they owned Christmas, as yes. far as I'm concerned. They made Christmas, yes. you could say. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's going to be finished the podcast. So it just leaves us to thank you very much for listening and wish you all a very Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and a good solstice. Cheers, Sean. Bye.